God is. And uh, thank you, Jonathan, for leaving as Brian is gone. And uh, they're also there. Actually, he's helping uh, their former pastor celebrate 30 years at the church where he came from. So that's uh, wonderful. And I want to thank you for your love and your support. Your appreciation, it means a lot. Your encouragement, it means a lot. Uh, but I do want to remind you that uh, my goodness is nothing apart from God. And that's what David said in, in the Psalms, and that's what I agree with. I know that my goodness is nothing apart from God. And what you love and appreciate about me is only Jesus in me. And I want to give you uh, just a shout-out because you're just a wonderful church family to pastor. It's easy uh, to pastor such a good church family. And I uh, thank you for just loving and encouraging me and, and being responsive to the Word of God like you are and praying for me and praying for my family. And I want to thank my wife for being the faithful uh, helpmeet that God has given me, that su supports me and, and encourages me. And, and right out of God's Word, um, if, if you don't believe in women preachers, then you're probably not married. But, but anyway, my wife uh, knows how to encourage me and to speak truth to me when I'm... Uh, Feeling a certain way, down or whatever, discouraged, she has a way of just speaking God's truth right into my heart. And I appreciate, appreciate her holding me up. She's like uh, uh, Aaron and her all wrapped up in one. She hold, holds both of my hands up, and uh, I'm grateful for her and all my family, grateful for my children and uh, how God is uh, using them, and um, just thankful that God's given me such a good family and, and a great church family. Well, that being said, before I begin... Uh, sharing the word of God with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as Emory just sang, we echo how great thou art. Lord, it's all about you. It's all to you. It's all through you. It's all for you. It's all because of you. And so, Lord, we cast our crowns before you. Lord, it's, it's your glory. It's your honor. And that's why we're here, because of what you did for us, not what we've done for you. You sent your son to die on the cross, to bear our sin, to bleed and suffer and die, to take our punishment upon himself. And then he was resurrected on the third day, and he sits right now at your right hand, and poised and ready to come back at your command and receive us to yourself. Lord, we've got work to do until that time. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this message to show us just, Lord, what we ought to be doing as your people. You love us, and you filled us with your spirit. You've empowered us. Lord, help us not to waste that precious resource of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, teach us from your word. Encourage your people, inspire your people, challenge your people. And Lord, help us to rise to the challenge. And Lord, if there be someone here today that's separated from God because of their own unbelief, Lord, because of the deception of the devil, God, I pray that you'd liberate them and help them to see, Holy Spirit, that they're in great need for you and that what you've done for them through Jesus is what, just what they need and that they would turn to you in faith to be saved. God, thank you for what you're going to do here today. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last Sunday I started a new series entitled One Cry. We looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 6, and 7 as... Solomon was dedicating the newly built temple to the Lord, and he was telling the Lord that he was asking the Lord for mercy on God's people, that if any of God's people sinned or if they found themselves in 
in uh, times of famine or drought or war or being defeated by their enemies, that if, if they were to pray and, and turn back to God, that God would hear from his temple and God would forgive. And that's the context of Second Chronicles 7.14 that you can quote probably forwards and backwards. And maybe you would like to quote it with me this morning. Let's say that. Second Chronicles 7.14, as I start, it'll, you'll remember it. God says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And so we've, we're talking about the one cry that the church of Jesus Christ needs to make. And the first cry that we need to make, as we talked about last week, was a cry of repentance. We need to repent. It is the heart cry of God. If my people, if my people... You see, we, the church, we've been looking too long at the government in Washington and, and, and Wall Street to repent. God says, if my people will repent. God's waiting on us. The condition of our nation is just simply a consequence of the rebellion of God's people. If my people... We, it's the heart cry of God. It's the heart cry of the prophets, as we looked at last week. It's the heart, it was the first cry of the New Testament, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the first words that publicly out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the last word of Jesus Christ to his churches in Revelation 2 and 3, repent. And it ought to be the cry of the church, repent. But this morning I want to share with you another cry that the church needs to make. And it's the cry for the lost. You know, we need to repent as God's people, but we also must cry out for those who are lost in sin and darkness. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. Paul said, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants His people to cry out for this world. He wants us to cry out for our leaders. He wants us to cry out for those who he desires to be saved, which is all men he desires to be saved. So this morning, the bulk of this message is going to be devoted to the cry of the lost. That we as the church need to hear the cry of the lost. Now, they're not publicly crying out. They're not, they're not even willingly crying out. But I hope that through the word of God today, that we will begin to see what it means to be lost. You see, I was saved at six years old. I don't remember much about what it means or how it feels to be lost. But I want, by God's grace and wisdom to us today, that we can get a, a grasp again of what it means to be lost. And that we can hear the cry of the world and that we can see through their, even their wickedness, what they're really wanting is peace. What they really need is hope. What they're after is eternal life. But they're just looking in the wrong place. We have the answer. 
And the answer is Jesus. So I want to talk about this morning, first of all, who are the lost? When we say the word lost, who are they? Well, the Bible says in John chapter 3, in verse 18, he says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Who are the lost? They're unbelievers in Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God. They don't believe that he's God who came in the flesh. They don't believe that he was the God who was crucified on the cross of Calvary for our sins. They don't believe in his resurrection. They don't believe in his ascension or his seating at the right hand of the throne of God. They don't believe in his return for his church. They don't believe in his sovereignty over all things. They are unbelievers in Jesus Christ. Such were all of us at one point. You know, if you're a believer today, there was a time in your life when you were an unbeliever. But you came to see the truth of Jesus Christ because of his grace and your faith. Who are the lost? They're also the rejecters of God's truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to God. It's not through religion. It's through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And the lost are those who've rejected Jesus as the way and as the truth. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians what's going to happen during the tribulation when the Antichrist is ruling. The Bible says that because they rejected the truth, he says, with all unrighteous deception, among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Who are the lost? They're those who don't believe in Jesus. They've rejected Jesus as the way and the truth. And they have believed a lie. And they think the lie is the truth. They're lost. David Jeremiah in his book, his new book, Is This the End, quotes author Eugene Peterson, who says, 1,800 years or so of history capped by a full exposition of Jesus Christ, tell us that God's revelation of himself is rejected far more often than it is accepted, is dismissed by far more people than embrace it, and has been either attacked or ignored by every major culture or civilization in which it has given its witness, including magnificent Egypt, Fierce Assyria, beautiful Babylon, artistic Greece, political Rome, Enlightenment France, Nazi Germany, Renaissance Italy, Marxist Russia, Maoist China, and Pursuit of Happiness America. Who are the lost? They're those who've rejected Jesus or don't believe in him yet. What does it mean to be lost? You know, the Bible uses two words that sometimes we dismiss, saved and lost. 
Sometimes we dismiss them because we think, well, they're churchy words. We don't need to use them. Listen, folks, if God's word uses it, it is an inspired word. That's not just an inspired sentence. That's not just an inspired verse. That's not just an inspired verse. That's not just an inspired chapter. That's not just an inspired book. That is an inspired word. Saved and lost. The word saved is the Greek word sozo, and it means save, deliver, or protect. The word lost is the Greek word apolumi, and it means to destroy fully, to perish, or to lose. Jesus used both of those words in one sentence when he said in Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56, the disciples, like me, this is me. I just told this to, reminded this to Tana yesterday. This is where I need prayer. Is that when, when the Samaritans rejected Jesus, the disciples wanted to call fire down upon them and consume them. That's my response. Let's just burn up the wicked. Let's just consume them. Let's drive them off the face of the earth. Let's let punishment come upon them. I have a response of anger and even hatred towards those who despise God and who are killing babies and who are uh, you know, perverting our culture and who are spurning the word of God, who are persecuting Christians and, and calling them to court over exercising their faith in the public arena. That makes me mad. And I want to call down fire from God. <laughs> and if I could have. But is that the response of Christ? It's not. You see, I don't have the heart of Christ on this matter yet. I want it. I pray for it. But I'm not there yet. And I want our church to have it. And I want God's people to have it. Because what's happening in this culture today just makes me mad. But Jesus said, said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are, you're of. What he was saying was, you're talking like the devil. You see, that's our response. We get mad at the culture. We want to condemn them, doom them to hell. Jesus said, Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. That's the word apolumi. But to save them. Sozo. Destroy. You know, the Bible says in Mark that there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out. And he said to Jesus, leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to apolumi us? Did you come to destroy us? You see, the lost are those who will have the same fate as the demons. That's not what God wants. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. He precluded that by saying, The thief comes to steal 
to kill and to Apollonia, destroy. In John chapter 3, the word can also be translated perish. Jesus said in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not, Apollumi, perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be sozo, saved. In chapter 10 and verse 9 of John, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be sozo, saved. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never, apolumi, perish. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul was speaking to that church and he said that be prepared that when you preach the gospel, when you tell people about Jesus, he said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ, among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. In chapter 4, we're going to look at this again. He said, "For if, even our, if our gospel is veiled, that is, hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then one that you need to hear where this word apolumi, lost, destroy, perish, is used. You need to hear the heart of God. God says, see many people say, preachers have been saying for years, the end is coming. Repent. People have been saying Jesus is coming back soon for thousands of years. Where is that promise being fulfilled? He ain't coming back. We're stuck here. And Peter reminds that church, his audience, he says, the long-suffering of God is salvation. He said, for God is not willing that any should what? Perish. God is not willing that any perish, Apollumi, but that all, A-L-L. -L. You think about the three words and you think about the people that are lost and are doing the things that are despicable. God's not willing that they perish. God's not willing that they suffer forever, eternally separated from Him. God is willing that they repent. How do the lost behave? How do lost people live? Turn to Romans chapter 1. And hold your finger there, because we're going to come back to it again in just a moment. 
But Paul gives several lists. In fact, he gives two we're going to look at this morning. One's in Romans chapter 1, one's in 2 Timothy 3, but just go to the Romans 1 passage and look at verse 29. This is how lost people, those who've rejected the truth of Jesus Christ, those who are unbelievers, this is how they behave. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. And might I add, haters of God's people. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives another list to young Timothy to be able to recognize those who are what's going to come in the last days. He said, in the last days, troublesome, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's how lost people behave. Why do they behave that way? Because they're lost. Lost. They don't, as Jesus cried from the cross, Father, forgive them. Y'all finish that for me. They know not what they do. A recent novel by Madeline Laingle is entitled A Severed Wasp and offers a graphic image of human lostness. It describes a wasp that was sucking jam off of a plate. Observing that, the person to whom the meal belonged took his knife and just severed the wasp in half, severed its abdomen from its head. The wasp paid no attention, merely went on with his meal, while a tiny stream of jam trickled out of its severed esophagus. Only when he tried to fly away did he grasp the dreadful thing that had happened to him. The wasp and people without Christ have much in common, severed from their souls, but greedy and unaware. They continue to consume life's sweetness, and only when it's time to fly away will they grasp their dreadful condition. 
Why are they lost? Let me affirm to you once again that it is not God's fault. Anyone in hell today, anyone that goes to hell from this point forward, has to trip over the cross to get there. God never condemns a soul to hell without their first having rejected his revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible affirms time and again, and I'm just going to show you one place, that God has done everything to make sure the gospel is known to every creature. I could give you other locations. Psalm 19 is one. Proverbs 1 is another place. Romans 1 is another place. Colossians 1 is another place. I'm going to give you one verse today. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now we can get bogged down and say, well, how does God get it to those remote tribes? I don't know how God gets it there. It's not my concern how he gets it there. I hope that we'll see, as we will see later, we won't get to it this morning, but tonight in our God's Not Dead 2 Bible study, we're going to talk about God using us, the cry to the lost. I hope that God would use you. I hope that God would use me. But I have to affirm what God's word says. If God says that the grace needed for people to be saved has appeared to all men, then that settles it, right? I don't have to question how. Oh, well, what, what about this? What about, it ain't no what abouts. If God said it, friends, that settles it, right? It's time for us to quit asking that question, how, and believe that God said yes. I have made sure that every person that I've brought into this world has enough revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to believe and to be saved. Now, if they reject that truth, then they begin believing a lie. And they begin accepting that the lie is the truth. And they have a willful rebellion. As spelled out, I told you to hold your finger at Romans 1. As Paul spells it out, he says in verse 19, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things, and they began to bow down to them and call those things their gods. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And that's why he says, like in verse 26 and 27, 
that's where homosexuality came out. Verse 29, sexual immorality came out. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, and on and on. Because God gave them the revelation. They rejected the revelation and turned their hearts to their own ways and started living the lie. And another reason they are lost is because of satanic deception. We looked a moment ago at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. He said, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, the God of this age, that is the devil, little g, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The devil is the deceiver, and he has deceived people. He is blinding people to the truth of who Jesus really is. And, and that is one of the main reasons they're lost. And the reason he is able to deceive them is because they've rejected the truth. The reason you're a believer today is because when the light of Jesus shone in your heart, there was a time when you reached out by your faith and you believed that. And so therefore, you don't believe the lie. But maybe there's some of you here today who lived that way for a long time. You, you rejected Christ the first few times the gospel was shared with you. And you were still believing and living in that lie. But later on, you came to believe. And there may be some of you here today who are still believing the lie. And maybe even spurning what I'm saying here this morning. But that doesn't change the truth, nor does it change God's great love for you. You can never stop God from loving you. Oh, how he loves you. Where do the lost go? Well, if they die in their lostness, they go to hell. It's pure and simple. It's right out of the scriptures. They will be forever separated from the presence of God and all that is holy, good, pure, clean, bright, and love. They'll be separated from all of that forever. Isaiah 66, 24, the Bible says, there will be a hatred for all flesh in hell. There won't be any friends in hell. If you go to hell, it'll be because you rejected Jesus. You tripped over his cross. You rejected him. And if you get to hell, your friends won't be there. You say, what about all those people who rejected Jesus with me? Oh, they'll be there, but they won't be your friends there. They'll hate you, and you'll hate them. You see, it's the complete opposite of God. God is love. And where God isn't, there is perfect hate forever. There will be darkness. The Bible describes it as a place of outer darkness. God is light. And then there'll be a place of outer darkness. Jesus described it in Mark chapter 9. He said, it's a place of darkness and of weeping and of grinding of the teeth. Now, you know what? What causes me to grind my teeth is when I'm hurting bad. Jesus described it as a place of torment where they're tormented and the flame does not, is not quenched day or night. It's a place of eternal torment. Jesus, John saw it like this in the book of Revelation. 
chapter 20, verse 14 and 15, he just says, he saw it as a lake of fire. He calls it the second death. He said, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In chapter 21, verse 8, again, he says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, talked to me. He says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. And then in verse 27, he says, there shall be no means enter into the heavenly city anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, they'll be forever separated from heaven, from God, from purity, from holiness. Church, we need to get a grip on that. That's what it means to be lost. The chief danger, William Booth said, that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. I want the church of Jesus Christ to realize we need to be crying out on behalf of the lost. What do we need to be crying out about? First of all, we need compassion instead of hatred and contempt. That's what I need. That's what I'm praying for. God, give me compassion for those who are wicked and who are doing wickedly, because, Lord, were it not for your grace, that's what I would do. Were it not for your Son in my life, that's what I would do. Jesus looked at the multitudes, and he said that they were scattered as sheep without a shepherd, but he was moved with compassion. Paul said in Romans 9 that he said, I could wish that I myself would be cursed, for the sake of my countrymen and their salvation. That's a, that's a burden. That's what we need. Pray, God, give us compassion for the lost. Give us a burden for the lost again. We need to pray and cry out to God for their salvation. Paul said in Romans 10, 9, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved. Are you praying for those who are lost? If you have a burden for them, you are. We need to pray for laborers. As Jesus saw the sheep scattered, he told the disciples, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. And then he followed that up in chapter 10 where he sent them out two by two. And it says he sent them to preach the gospel. We'll look more at that tonight as we have our God's Not Dead 2 study in the fellowship hall at 5.30. But pray that for laborers to go. Pray for yourself to be one of those laborers. Pray for boldness and courage to stand up and speak for Jesus in your workplace, in your circle of influence, in your world. It's safe here to say Jesus. It's safe here to quote scripture. It's dangerous out there. 
Many of you guys remember the, seri- the 33 series that we see in February. The African-American gentleman that's one of the teachers used to be the fire chief of Atlanta. Atlanta fired him for helping a co-worker off the job, outside, in his home, teaching him about the Word. Not on the job, not on the clock, in his personal life. They fired him. Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. Bible Belt. The Baptist buckle of the Bible Belt. It won't happen here, but it has happened here. It's safe. It's dangerous. That's why you need courage. That's why you need boldness. Lord, give me that kind of courage. Give me that kind of boldness. Like Peter and John had in Acts chapter 4, where they were commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They had already been beaten, and now they were being threatened. And they told the people that threatened them, said, whatever you say is whatever you say, but we can't help but speak the name of Jesus. I'm not going to be intimidated as a pastor. We're not going to be intimidated as a church to not stand up for the word of God and the name of Jesus and his gospel. I'm going to challenge you to not be intimidated in your world, in your circle of influence, on your job, to count for Jesus. You may lose your job. You may lose your money. You may lose your influence or your reputation. All manner of evil may be spoken against you falsely. You may be brought to trial. Doubtful, but could happen. It's happening in other countries. You could be falsely accused. You could be condemned to death. But isn't that what happened to Jesus? For you? For me? Should we not be willing to stand and be unashamed for him? And we also need to pray for opportunity. I don't think we lack for opportunity. Paul said, pray that a door would be open to us for the gospel. I think the door's wide open. You say, no, it's closing fast. It's it's getting to where they're shutting us down. No, the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. Just because they're persecuting us more and more and more and more, tightening the restraints on us more and more, that doesn't mean the door for the gospel is closing. It means it's opening wider and wider. Oh, I wished I would have brought this quote to the pulpit with me this morning, but I will share it with you tonight. And I'm going to attempt it here. You know, we've seen God bless America, and I'm quoting another source. And we think that God hasn't blessed America or isn't blessing America now because of what we're going through. But this author who wrote that quote said, could it not be that God is answering our prayer just in a way that we didn't think? That maybe God is blessing America by allowing the persecution against his people to come. Because you see, in previous cultures in history, 
that when the persecution arose against the church of Jesus Christ, the church thrived and the joy increased. Could it not be that our God is answering our prayer and our plea, God bless America, by allowing the persecution of his people so that, again, the church can thrive and we can get out of our apathy and our complacency and our comfort zones and start being the church again and experiencing the joy of the Lord as Jesus intended us to in the first place. The cry of the lost demands the cry of the church. Let's pray. Father.